Good evening, everyone, and um, welcome to this Fan Centre for Temporary Art. My name is Max Delaney. I'm Artistic Director and CEO, and I'd really like to welcome you and thank you for joining us this evening. Um, the Cities of Architecture lecture series happens on a monthly basis here at ACCA, and next month we're travelling to Barcelona with Mark Burry, who is Professor of Urban Futures at the Melbourne School of Design at the University of Melbourne. He's been working in a virtual collaboration with Antonio Gaudi in his role as Executive Architect and Researcher at the Sagrada Familia Basilica. So it should be a very interesting insight into Barcelona next month. Um, and you can have look at bookings on the website um, on our programs um, page. To begin with, I'd like to sincerely acknowledge the Boon traditional owners and sovereign custodians of the land upon which we meet, along with the Wurundjeri and all the Kulin nations, and we extend our respects to elders past and present who, and any, um, any First Nations people who are joining us this evening. Before I welcome James Brealey, our guest speaker this evening, I'd like to first thank Starwood Whiskey for their evocative cocktail this evening, which is inspired by a dessert co um, called a fresh milk pudding. Um, and as always, a very big thanks to our presenting partners, Abercrombie and Kent, a luxury travel company who offer unique adventures and inspirational travel experiences and vacations around the world. This evening, it's a great pleasure to welcome and introduce our guest presenter, James Brealey. James is the founding director of Brealey Architects and Urbanists, BAU, an architecture, planning and landscape architecture practices, practice with offices in Melbourne and Shanghai. James and partner Fang Chun opened their Shanghai office in 2001 after winning the design competition for a sports and leisure complex. The practice currently has 70 personnel working on a broad range of infrastructure, culture, health, transportation and education projects, as well as a number of public parks and city planning endeavours. So we're especially grateful to have James speaking about Shanghai this evening. James is the co-author of Network Cities, an investigative design publication of research, theory and practice of contemporary Chinese urbanism. Teaming with Steve Whitford, James participated in the exhibition Now and When, which was presented in the Australian Pavilion at the Venice Biennale of Architecture in 2010. He has many diverse research uh, areas and um, areas of focus in his practice, including the rethinking of programming in architecture, the creation of inclusive public space in Chinese urbanism, and the design of eco-cities. These are critical issues in a city such as Shanghai, one of the world's great mega-cities, and arguably the most popular cities in the world. Shanghai is, of course, also a city with a dynamic art scene and burgeoning cultural infrastructure, which includes the Power Station, which is the first state-run contemporary art museum in mainland China, which is also the home of the Shanghai Biennale, along with a plethora of private museums, such as the Long and the Yules Museums, the Rockbund Art Museum, set within a stunning Art Deco building, which was thoughtfully restored by David Chipperfield on the Bund, and a great many Chinese and international private galleries, such as Shang Art and Leo Zhu Projects, James Cohen Gallery, the artist Zhu Zhen's Made in Company, among others. So without further ado, it now gives me a great pleasure to hand over to James, who will speak about Shanghai in much more depth. Um, and if you do have questions, they're very welcome, and please, um, um, sort of gather your thoughts and hold them for um, the end of James's talk and we'll bring around a microphone. So please welcome James Brealey. Thanks very much, Max. Uh, well, you know, Shanghai's an absolutely incredible city and not just for its past, but uh, for what it's becoming. You know, it's got insuppressible um, energy in the past um, hundred years, it's been through, it's come from imperialism, through uh, nationalism, and um, then through communism, and now through this incredible, um, incredibly unbridled capitalism stage. And um, <clears throat> it's also had the most remarkable boom time um, early this century much around the same time that we had our um, gold rush boom time. Only in Shanghai, it all came to a sudden stop in the late 30s when the Japanese invaded and then the Civil War um, took over after that. But um, 50 years later, um, you know, 
the city's really been asleep. It hasn't, it's been in dire poverty, it's been isolated from the rest of the world. Um, and so now we see this giant awakening and um, you know, it's awakened into this new moment, into this, into this communications era. It's awakened into the globalised world. It's awakened into um, you know, a moment where, well, it's needed to go through rapid urbanisation. Um, <clears throat> and you know, having awakened into this period, it's having to, um, to reinvent how to live. You know, it's having to discover how to live again. There are 24 million people now living in Shanghai and um, the, all of a sudden they've got the freedom to take influence from overseas. They're travelling, they're studying overseas, they're coming back with new ideas, they're reappropriating those ideas. Nothing's copied from the West, everything goes through a filter, a Chinese filter. Um, and they're, um, you know, they're rediscovering their own past, which was banned to them for years. And, um, it's really um, a most interesting space now and the next century it's really going to be the place to, to watch. <clears throat> um, I've got some photos of Canadian uh, Greg Girard who made a fantastic book Phantom Shanghai which I recommend you all have a look at. Um, a lot of people don't realise it but um, Shanghai is an ancient place. There's been settlement around Shanghai for, um, you know, since 500 BC. Um, the Jing'an Temple was uh, built in 247, not, not on this site, but not far from it, uh, and rebuilt in 1216. And uh, more recently, in the Cultural Revolution, it was converted into a plastics factory. And uh, for about 30 years, it, it made plastics, but <clears throat> now it's been reborn. and. Um, Oh, you'll see in the background uh, that twisted top uh, building, which was one of ours. It was, it was supposed to be gold, but the, um, the client lost his nerve. <laughs> in the countryside around um, Shanghai, you can find lots of uh, fantastic relics. Um, they've only been getting attention since the 80s. You know, when you're in abject poverty, uh, cultural heritage isn't top priority. And also, I think there's just so much of it throughout China. But um, projects like this are in dire need of restoration and saving. Um, <clears throat> so Shanghai built a wall around um, itself in the 1500s to protect itself against Japanese pirates, supposedly. And uh, there it thrived for 300 years. <clears throat> it's, at the, it's at the mouth of the Yangtze River, so it's connected to inland China and collect, connected to the rest of the world. And um, the trade here was, was greater than that seen in London. And um, you can still find the old town. Um, luckily, the, um, uh, the authorities have decided to keep their hands off it because it is full of ancient relics. Um, you can see the rest of the city creeping up on it, pushing into it. Um, and what's happened, the old town itself has become an absolute slum. It's, it's totally overcrowded. I mean, it's quite fantastic. Glorious old buildings just um, layered over with life. Um, what you see lit up there is the old bazaar, which is, is quite, an, quite a fantastic place, but they've, they've re rebuilt it in um, Disney fashion. However, next door to it <clears throat> is the most fantastic, authentic garden, the Yuyuan. And I don't know if you, many of you have been to these Chinese gardens. There's a lot in Suzhou, but they are a real adventure. Um, they couldn't be more different to our garden tradition. The, um, the extreme um, <clears throat> space manipulation, they're half architectural, half garden and that the landscape is sort of on steroids. So it's, uh, they're just fantastic, exquisite places. But um, you've got to go to these places as soon as they open because by, um, by 12 p.m. they're like the metro. They're absolutely packed. I mean, look at this. This is just a, just a passage through the garden. There's different gardens on either side. The path's ramping. You've got uh, 
you know, a path with a wall through it and windows connecting it. It's absolutely wacky and fantastic. And the, the waterways that travel around the garden, they travel through the walls that, that divide all of the different courtyards. It's fantastic. <clears throat> and this part of um, um, the Yangtze River Delta is just covered in canals. They're, almost all of them are man-made. And um, it was basically a highway network. And just outside of Shanghai in Qingpu, um, <clears throat> there are the most beautiful old water towns. There's about eight of them. And um, again, you do have to go early or avoid the weekends. I think this bridge is called the, um, I think it's translated as the Freedom Bridge. People go here with, with fish in bags and they throw them over into the river to give them their freedom. <laughs> so there are guys on the side selling bags and bags of goldfish. <clears throat> yeah, I, I still find it incredible that our, you know, the, the British heritage, you know, our, our British trade was based on selling opium to the, to the Chinese. And when the Chinese tried to stop us, well, we just waged war on them. And, and gained treaties to, to make occupied territories, these concessions, shotgun concessions. Um, the concessions were small at first, um, but over time they grew because the concessions actually became safe havens while various civil wars waged around, around the countryside. A lot of Chinese came to settle here. And thankfully the opium trade died out fairly quickly at this stage, and, um, and a lot of the um, traders became property developers, and they developed um, housing for Chinese mostly. <clears throat> um, this is one of the great landmarks of the world. It's, it's the Bund, and this is where all the, the ships would pull up and unload their cargo. Um, it, was, um, it was built, you know, from the 1850s up through to the late 30s, so you know, sort of followed our gold rush period, and it's got similar neoclassical, very weighty stone stone edifices, um, only bigger and grander than what we've got. And you know, it's it's probably the best the best thing Shanghai's got going for it. The unique, the most unique thing. Um, and of course, on the on the rooftops of a number of these neoclassical buildings are fantastic bars from which you you can see the new city. And um, in about the 1920s, uh, modernism hit Shanghai, and it hit it hit it with a force that no other city in the world experienced. Um, this is Sassoon's uh, famous Peace Hotel. A lot of glamour and lust came with this at this modernist period and um, you know, they had sprung dance floors and it was, had a big jazz scene in the ground floor and there were some um, Chinese architects operating at this same time working often for Western firms but um, doing modernism in a Chinese idiom. In the streets behind um, the Bund you'll see about um, two or three blocks that have been, um, have been left, uh, left in their dilapidated states. You know, thankfully, like the old town, <clears throat> the city governments uh, left it alone, you know, waiting for, for a really good idea, not really being too scared to touch this fantastic area, which is great. So when you walk along the back streets, um, you'll see all sorts of these magnificent um, buildings in all sorts of disrepair, but the disrepair means that the original conditions are there too, you know, it's quite, they're quite untouched, especially their interiors. And um, the Russians came and built some um, Russian Orthodox churches. Shanghai was a, was a haven for you know, white Russians. Um, 
for a lot of Europeans, avoiding the po pogroms in Russia and um, the Nazis in Germany later. And of course the Christians have been here for a, for a long time, the Catholics. But I think, um, I, I, I think the, um, the vice at this period really ruled the concessions and um, the gangsters really ran the, ran the place. And it was, very, um, it was very convenient for them because uh, the concessions had different police forces. So if ever you were avoiding one group of police, you could just go over the street and be in another precinct, another police municipality. Um, so this is the Paramount, um, one of the pleasure palaces. And they were so progressive and adventurous. You know, they were building glass-floored glass dance floors with lighting that coordinated with the music and mirrored, mirrored balls, I think, were probably invented here. <clears throat> um, Laszlo Hudek is, is like um, Shanghai's, the, or the Shanghai um, uh, concessions, uh, Antonio Gaudi. He uh, escaped from a Siberian prisoner of war camp and made it to Shanghai, where he um, started his own office as a, as a young bloke. And he, he built in all sorts of styles. He could master so many different styles, but his modernist work really stands out amongst everyone's. All of these classic buildings are, um, really went to, to rack and ruin, and it's only very recently that they're being restored. Um, there were also some, some young fantastic French architects that opened their practice in Shanghai, doing you know, some of the best modernism you could, you could really see. This reminds me a bit of Prince Henry's um, hospital, which unfortunately we lost. Yeah, This is one of my um, favourite buildings. Um, it's like a, a Russian constructivist assemblage. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's beautifully put together. It's an apartment building. Um, the Chinese were doing a lot of beautiful pieces. This is the Jiangwan Stadium. And they also had a great sense of humour. In the 30s, they built the um, aeronautical uh, uh, organisation's headquarters. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the... The bulk of the concessions are made up of um, lane houses or lilongs or shirkumen. And essentially it's, it's uh, British row housing hybridised with the Chinese um, courtyard housing. And um, some of them are quite simple but they were all, you know, basically very elegant housing. This, you enter the, um, from the laneway into a private courtyard, like a front yard. And the older shikomen used to have um, more courtyards throughout the house. So each of these gates represents a, a family's household. And this is, this is a lane, um, at the end of which you often had gates. So there's always been this, um, this tendency to make uh, gated communities for the Chinese. They love this defensiveness. Um, this is a typical view over the uh, former French concession. Th that was our uh, old office. Um, it was in a, uh, a return from countryside uh, factory when they were trying to create some employment after the Cultural Revolution. <clears throat> um, so when uh, Mao and the, and the Socialist Party came into power, um, these fantastic uh, lane houses and private family houses um, became communes. The families, very wealthy families at the time, um, they had to hand over all of their property and they were allowed to live in one room in the house. And the other, in the, in the larger houses, the other ten rooms were occupied by ten other families. You know, so there'd be five, five in a bedroom. And so <laughs> these houses, beautiful old houses, were 
you know, un unrepaired. They didn't have any money spent on them for about 50 years. And, um, or still today, what's that, about 80 years, 70 or 80 years later, they're, they're in this state. You know, they're absolutely original. Um, a typical bedroom shared by a family. You know, really sweet, you know, full of love, really polished, clean, but never having had a lick of paint. And sometimes these rooms were divided up if they were big enough to give a bit of privacy to the families. And so most of the lane houses, in, all, all of the lane houses in Shanghai um, became like this, you know, with the, the bathrooms designed for one family, having, having three or four or more families sharing them. And the kitchens, you can see a number of cooktops there. Each, each one belongs to a different family. And still, half of, the, half of the lane houses are, are like this. These are images that um, Greg Gerard has shared with us. Um, at the same time, um, they, um, Shanghai embarked on the endeavor to build 20,000 new um, house, houses in, um, in this Soviet-style commune. So um, each unit within these long buildings uh, had five families, each of whom had one room their living room, sleeping room, everything room, and they shared a kitchen and shared the bathroom. And uh, you can see the, uh, the arraying of the building so that they face, face south, very, you know, basically a very healthy model. It was a very positive, positive time in Shang, Shanghai, really, for most families who were coming out of, well, those coming out of poverty in, into this uh, shared housing. It was seen as something really modern and fantastic. <clears throat> yeah, and Deng Xiaoping came along, um, and this is what happened. Capitalism thrived, and the city, you can see, you can see how much it's grown in the last uh, 30, 30 or so years. It's, um, it's grown to about a population of about 24 million people. <clears throat> and. Uh, the best place to see this is uh, Lu Jiazui, the new CBD of Shanghai. Um, it's almost growing before your eyes. And this is how it looks today. It's slightly stretched vertically to get that Blade Runner effect, but really it does feel like, like that. <clears throat> when we arrived there, um, the Jin Mao Tower had just been built, designed by SOM, built by the local government, was the tallest building in China, maybe in the world, I'm not sure. It was beautiful, it was stunning. I'd, I'd never imagined such a tall building there. And, um, but about 10 years later, it was dwarfed by this guy, um, designed by PDF. And more recently, they're both dwarfed by the new Shanghai Tower, which is the second tallest tower in the world. And uh, it's really worth a visit to the top if you, if you can find a clear day to go there even better. Um, I've just shown this as a homage to um, Zaha Hadid. Um, actually, Shanghai doesn't employ star architects. It's very interesting. Beijing is full of star architects' buildings, but like Melbourne, Shanghai's kept, largely kept them out. Um, this is my star architect, John Portman. This is the Shanghai Centre, and um, <clears throat> it's pretty ugly, I know, but it's just unbelievable. John Portman was the American architect that rediscovered or reinvented the atrium, you know, the enormous atriums he put in, in hotels. Well, I haven't got any good images, but, but underneath, underneath the, uh, the raised podium there is the most enormous... Um, a space with cars driving around and all sorts of activities spill, spilling onto it. Um, I've just thrown in some um, images of local architects. There's not a lot of local 
architects emerging. It's surprising. They're taking so long, I, I can't explain it. But nevertheless, there are, they're, they're, finally, they're finally coming. Zhang Bing designed the um, Tonji School of Architecture, which is a fine building and worth a visit. There's a good bookshop in the building. He's also designed a couple of other buildings there. Oh, that's, that's in the John Portman Shanghai Center. Sorry, it's a ter terrible image. I couldn't find any. Uh, Norman Foster has designed a beautiful modest tower. Uh, GMP, the Germans, are doing some, some fine work, pretty modest. And I don't know who's building all these, but uh, they built a lot of them in the 90s and they're quite fantastic, you know, that, that 50s futurism. And they've usually got re um, revolving restaurants, so they're always worth a visit. And this, this is the equivalent in urban planning, I think. Um, it's actually by GMP, and it's on the edge of Shanghai. I, um, I just wanted to um, talk a little bit about transportation because it's something the Chinese do so well and the Shanghai needs do well, and I think we could learn something from it in Mel here in Melbourne. <clears throat> I think one of the differences is that in China, all of the um, politicians have an engineering background. They're project-based and trained people. So, that, so they can do projects. Whereas in Australia, I think they're all lawyers, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so from the airports, we've got the Maglev, the fastest train on earth, 430 kilometers an hour. Um, in the 10 years before Expo, China built, Shanghai built 90% of the longest metro network in the world. Just incredible. We complain about building six stops here. When I was living there, they were building dozens and dozens, well, hundreds, I think it is. It was a bit of a mess. Um, fast trains have arrived in China, bullet trains going everywhere. It's changed the geography of the country. <clears throat> this is the um, Shanghai South Station. It's a sublime piece of engineering incredible spans. It's actually got a plastic roof and it's by Arup, the, um, the French engineers. And this is the largest transport interchange in the world. It's the Hongqiao hub. On the, on the right we see the rebuilt domestic airport connecting through to an enormous bus interchange and then on the left the um, fast train station which has the largest waiting hall you can imagine. Um, and trams, I'm pleased to say trams are coming to China. This is a, a tram um, headquarters and training centre we um, designed in, in Suzhou next to Shanghai. But they're rolling out a tram network and I think they're going to come back to a lot of cities in China. Even the roads are fantastic in Shanghai. Um, th these aren't freeways, these are just just roads. People are cutting across one another, turning off, and uh, they're quite sensational. There aren't too many of them, so they don't destroy the city when you're on the ground. Uh, but the greatest thing about Shanghai is the streets, and uh, we've got the French to thank for that. They imported all of, their, um, all of these plane trees, and every street in the former French concession is, is tree-lined. Just beautiful. Uh, and the transportation on the streets is <laughs> it's pretty hilarious and it's, um, it's slightly desperate too. You know, a lot of people are just etching a, etching a living off the street. This guy was collecting food scraps to take to the pig farms. Nothing's really wasted in China. But I, I think everyone in Shanghai is surviving, you know, there's just so much movement. <laughs> You've got to love the wicker chairs, they're so light. Yeah. Oh, and the, the, every time I go to Shanghai, something, some new revolution seems to have changed the face of the city. And most recently, my last trip, it was these um, rental bicycles. You can go up to a any one of these millions of bikes on the streets with your phone, open it, unlock it with, your, with an app, ride it wherever you want, 
for about a dollar and then dump it wherever you want. And so consequently, everyone's on them. And the place is, it's so much happier. Now that everyone's on bikes, they're quite happy. Um, I wanted to mention housing. Um, this, is, this is what housing looks like in China. I mean, it's evolved from that Soviet uh, commune model, um, but still pretty similar. Um, everything's in gated communities still. Everything's facing south. All the buildings are narrow, so they're really high quality buildings. Even the cheapest, um, cheapest of these developments they're flooded with light, they've got cross ventilation, they've got living rooms that face south, face the sun, balconies which get built in, um, and natural light to bathrooms. I'm sure about 40% of the 24 million people in Shanghai live in dormitories. All of the students live in university and live in dorms. A lot of the workers that, that fill the factories, they live in dormitories at the factory. And of course, all the builders do it hard. They all live on site, which is freezing in winter and roasting throughout summer. But they're, they're mostly farmers, so they're pretty hardy. They, can, they seem to be able to cope with it. Um, and a lot of people are living in just holes in the wall. This is our um, local fruit guy, and his family live in this two metre deep space. And um, etch out a pretty, Pretty good living selling their fruit. Um, parks, uh, Shanghai's building a lot of parks and um, they love their parks. This is uh, Suzhou Creek which um, connects to Suzhou. It used to be black in the 1990s. Shanghai was black, the skies were black, the rivers were black. It was a really awful place but um, now the pollution's largely lifted and um, this river's pretty clean. They moved all the industry and we were asked to design about five kilometres of parkland along here. Um, we designed a, a um, promenade along the river and uh, with some built-in seating. Um, uh, sometimes when there was a park on the other side of the road, we'd, we'd build an elevated walkway so you could look down and see the river. Um, and we, we built a sort of a, tested out an equivalent of the tan to see if the Chinese might like to, to jog and exercise. And guess what? They're loving it. You know, it's really busy. It's really great. Um, these are some images from Fuxing Park, which is a fantastic old park to visit. It was a Chinese park that converted into, um, was converted by the French into a public park. There's always dancing in China, mostly by the oldies, all sorts of styles. <clears throat> a lot of board games here. And there's even a speaker's corner, which seems quite provocative. And there's always a ex small exercise yard in all the parks, and, and it's the oldies. These are designed for the oldies. And the planting itself is really beautiful. Uh, Jing'an um, has created a new sculpture park. Uh, I think it's designed by French landscape architects and it's really beautiful. And the, the, the art's, you know, quite interesting. And it's next to the new um, natural, natural history museum. Shopping malls are sort of taking over the city. Uh, this is the, the wildest, biggest one by John Jurdy, the famous, um, I think he's Miami, Miami based um, designer. I think he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but the more interesting commercial projects are, are the smaller ones um, in old factories. This is a fantastic one in an old uh, pig abattoir. It's just extraordinary. Um, and this is, this is um, a shopping district that's emerged in an old uh, lane housing area and it's, um, it's naturally gentrified. The people upstairs have rented out space below to, to um, well, it started out with Westerners and they were opening little bars and tourist shops and it's, it's really spread um, throughout a whole, a whole district. There are hundreds of these tiny shops. It's really worth visiting. <laughs> and this is Yongkung Lu. It's, it's just amazing. I always go back here when I visit because 
it's, it will have evolved into something else. For about, for about a year, it, it became this wild bar street. I mean, it closed at about 10 p.m., but um, now they've, they've closed that down and it's gone back to being a... They're trying to make it a culture street. And all of the shops, these shops trying to do something cultural, they're, they're reinventing the wheel. They're doing all sorts of different foods and drinks and objects and places to teach the kids pottery and all sorts of hybridizations are happening. Our food, well, if you go to Shanghai, just, just go for the spicy foods, you know, Sichuan and Anhui. You don't want to go for that Shanghai oily stuff. And um, the spicy province restaurants always have a better interior, so that's where we usually go. And if there's one place you've got to go to once in your life, it's uh, Michelle Garneau's M on the Bund. It's, um, it's a beautiful restaurant and interior, but this is the view it's got. Spectacular. And over the Bund to our left there. And breakfast, well, just go wherever the queues are longest. Get some um, hot soy milk and fried bread. Um, this is a, um, a theatre that we've um, just completed. Um, it's, uh, it's been a good project. They care a lot about um, some of their cultural buildings. Um, this is a, it's a complex, there's seven cinemas. You can see all those lightweight boxes up there floating around, clad in zinc. We've got this big moving um, screen showing trailers. And um, on, on the left there, you can see the, uh, the stone, very heavy monolith, which uh, houses the thousand seat theatre. So it's an interesting hybrid of you know, commercial moving image and traditional theatre. And uh, the project, it was all going well until about the last, you know, 1% of the project when they were going to clad it. And then the mayor, the mayor stepped in and uh, changed the colour of the monolith from black to light grey. So unfortunately now they, <laughs> now they look similar. We were trying to differentiate them in every way. Um, this is a view inside of the, um, of the stone monolith with a, a timber-like timber interior. Um, so, Max asked me to say a few things about the art scene. Um, so, I'll start with this. This is M50, Mogan Shan Lu. This was a naturally uh, um, emerged uh, art district. Um, painters had studios there and started selling their work and gradually it became the centre of Shanghai, Shanghai art. Um, it's since faded quickly and finally Shang Art has just moved their studio. So, there's not too much interesting art there, but it's still an interesting place to pot around. Um, this was a government-directed um, uh, project, uh, Red Town. Um, we designed the, the first building, which is that enormously long um, old steel factory on the right, and about uh, ten other galleries have, have come and gone over the time. Um, so this was the most important sculpture um, institution or gallery for the city for about eight years and the way the city did it is they just said look let's just build one uh, let's get someone else to build it actually <laughs> so they found this young developer who we happen to know and said right okay if you want to do it here's the shed cut it in half half can be our public gallery and the other half you can make into private art businesses to to pay for it and uh, you've got four months to design the renovation, to build the renovation, and to curate and open the opening <laughs> exhibition. <laughs> and they did it. Um, and it's pretty rough, and half the time it was just used for um, money-earning events. But it did serve its purpose, and um, it's still kind of an interesting place to, to visit. One of the interesting things was this um, vague terrain that emerged in the middle of everything. Um, but there are plans for two, two tall towers there now. But Shanghai's come a long way. And uh, this is the uh, Powerhouse Museum, which is just spectacular. It's curated by... Um, uh, foreign foreign uh, curators, and they are doing a, a really spectacular job. It's so big that 
but they can do really uh, ambitious projects. I've never seen work this scale before. Another interesting art occurrence in, I think it's happening in, they've got one in Beijing, they've got plans to do these all over China, but there's uh, one in Shanghai, K11, it's, it's a hybrid of high art and shopping mall. <laughs> you know, there's some pretty expensive art in here. Um, they've also got a number of different programs going on. They're growing gardens, they have live animals in there sometimes. Um, cooking classes, all sorts of stuff. Um, this is a very interesting building by the Japanese architect Isazaki, uh, the Himalaya Centre. Um, they've got a gallery. I don't think it's very highly renowned, um, but the building's damn interesting. It's very rough around the edges for a Japanese architect. I'm sure he would refuse to visit it. <laughs> uh, a highly renowned gallery is this one, um, Bank. This is Matthew Borshevitz, and he's really a fantastic go-to guy in, um, in Shanghai for art. Um, he's a good friend of mine, and I've warned him that he might have a few Melbourne art tourists coming his way. Um, this is the um, Rockbun Museum that Max mentioned, renovated beautifully by David Chipperfield. With, I think the builders misinterpreted his working drawings, though. <laughs> and, um, you're safe everywhere in Shanghai. <laughs> yeah, but the newest thing on the art scene in, in Shanghai is this um, new West Bund. And uh, yes, yeah, got the Utes Museum, um, Long Museum. Uh, this oil tank is about to go under reconstruction. I don't know what it's gonna be, but it, it sounds pretty interesting. Um, the, there's some great landscaping that's been built along the the river here, which is a great place to watch these enormous ships. Um, and they've uh, kept an enormous old factory and that's the home, the new home of the Shanghai um, Art Fair, which happens, I think it's February, the Art Fair. They've only had two here. And the smaller buildings around it, um, they're purpose-built art galleries. So this is Shanghai's new home. Shanghai's actually run by a German fellow, and um, they've got an operation in Beijing as well as Shanghai. And this is the beautiful uh, Long Museum, or Dragon Museum. Uh, it's um, a contemporary art gallery. It's privately owned, um, but in the basement they also have a historic um, section, which is really interesting. But, you know, it's just a... a Beautiful interior. Something that Louis Kahn would have been proud of. That was designed by Da Sher, some local architects. Um, this is Renmin Square, People's Square. And you'll, um, <laughs> you'll probably notice this quite traditional uh, Chinese arrangement. Government offices in the centre, in, in the place of power, higher in the centre, lower on the wings, very good feng shui, and, and flanked by the planning museum um, and the, um, the, the French designed um, Shanghai theatre. But uh, what's most interesting is the, um, is the Shanghai Museum in the foreground. It's really I don't know that, how they did it, but in the 1990s, they built this world-class institution. It was the only thing of world-class in the whole city for, for about 15 years. And um, it's really got a great collection of um, painting, calligraphy, um, earthware, um, bronzeware. This is, um, <laughs> this is designed by Hudeck, believe it or not. It's a really beautiful building, great interior. It's the Art and Crafts Museum. And it too is really worth, worth a visit. They have craftspeople working there all day long. You can, you can observe them working. It's very good. Uh, this is a, the Propaganda Museum. It's a, a private, privately run gallery. And it's just in, the, um, in an apartment of a standard Shanghai office uh, um, residential tower. It's worth going there 
just to um, experience the housing tower, uh, the, the um, residential community. Um, I think this is called Forever Friendship, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's back in the heyday where, when Russia, Russia and China were friends. I think it was in the 1960s. Um, so I'm going to finish with uh, just a couple of words about one of our projects. It's in Kunshan, which is at the end of one of the metro lines. It sort of used to be a, well, it's a, a different town, but you know, Shanghai is so big it's just absorbing these places. And um, a lot of what I've shown um, takes place um, in central Shanghai. You know, and in central Shanghai, you've got the conditions for really uh, uh, the emergence of, of lots of new culture because you've got so much complexity there. You've got old buildings, new buildings, small streets, lanes, all sorts of conditions. On the periphery of Shanghai, on the periphery of all Chinese cities, we've got this um, modernist urban planning um, model. Um, it's a bit like what you might have heard of in Brasilia, which is an urbanism of, of separation, of um, gigantic sort of mega blocks of buildings that are all set back in green from the roads, um, of segregation of uses, you know, housing here, working there, shopping in shopping malls here. Um, and, the, and the Chinese architecture models um, also aren't very encouraging of, of, of complexity and you know, emergence of culture. They're, they're gated communities, they're gated um, working um, uh, office parks. They're, everything seems to be gated, unfortunately. So right at this time when um, Chinese people want to be and need to be um, exploring new ways to live, um, reinventing their own culture, and writing their own future, they're stuck in this straitjacket of, of urbanism and, and architecture. So, sort of our um, our, our um, mission, I guess, is to um, find opportunities where we can um, create environments for for um, the emergence of new culture. You know, and so. Um, one way to do that is to create places of places of urbanism, of, of density. So in this in this suburb, we were asked to design a, um, a shopping mall or a little shopping centre. Um, but we convinced the client to allow us to turn the shopping centre inside out, um, so that it's got grand streets of shopping and plazas, um, so that we've got uh, restaurants. Pulling, pulling out into the small parkland and seeking the sun, so that we've got a whole lot of different expressions of architecture that can change over time at will. We convinced the client to, to add uh, places for people to live in the project so that it can be alive day and night and just have a different set of people and events. We convinced the client to, to have places to work. So we've got... Um, living and working in those, in those towers you see on the left. We convinced the client to establish a sports centre so you might have you know, sporting um, activities. There's a big indoor swimming pool here and a very big indoor gym and spas. And with all of this, um, this diversity of program you know, comes you know, what Cool House referred to in Delirious New York as, as a sort of a, um, a culture of congestion you know, where we've got different people and different activities all rubbing shoulders. And it's out of that, um, that friction that you find potential, potential for new, new ideas, for new programs to be designed and tried out. You know, China needs, to, needs places to try out new ideas, open new businesses, see if they survive, try new, invent new sports, do whatever, but, you know, try it. It's a bit like a... Um, <clears throat> metabolist structure, you know, where you've got a, an armature into which you can plug all sorts of different buildings and different programs and activities. Um, so 
we might just finish with a little... Um, we've made a very rough fly-through around this building, but before we play it, I'll, you know, I'll just say that... Um, ask you to stop and imagine this place in another five or ten years when it's absolutely covered in life. You'll see that the city around it is under construction. The project's just opened here, so there aren't any businesses in the building, really, and there aren't many people here. Um, but just imagine it, imagine it once it's cleaned up a bit. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's a bit dirty still, and just covered in life and all sorts of new activities that we can't imagine will exist because China is going to invent the future. It's really going to be um, the space to watch, and Shanghai, being the biggest city in this biggest nation is going to be totally mind-blowing and I recommend that you all um, go there regularly because every time you go there because if you go soon you'll see a lot of the older the older stuff that's disappearing quite quickly but also if you keep going you'll be surprised each time and apologies here to Stephen Chow and Wong Kar Wai okay and I think we'll have a chat after this is just a couple of minutes
thank you very much, James, for a um, great kind of reflection on the past and speculation into the, the future of Shanghai. Um, can everyone please thank me in joining James this evening. Uh, I have a roving mic, um, so if anyone has any questions that they'd like to pose to James, um, just raise your hand and I'll bring you around. Thank you very much for that presentation, it was really nice. Um, what's really nice looking at your projects at the end is the human scale that you bring the city back to. When you look at some of the enormous buildings that are going in there, but there's this really nice kind of quality of scale that you're kind of even in larger projects you're bringing back. Do you think that's very important to Shanghai given its history? Oh yeah, um, it, it's incredible all the fine, all the fine grain um, the work is just is just evaporating, and uh, the city is overscaled at the moment. Um, I mean, it seems so obvious, doesn't it, to uh, create human scale? But anyway, it's not happening. But the beauty is that the buildings are all set back from the street, so there's it's like a land bank. There's plenty of room to come and fill in the smaller scale stuff in the future. I was looking for the lifts in that last project. Your elevators? Yeah. Plenty of elevators. In, in each of those five um, towers, there's elevators. Yeah. And, and inside, in the shopping mall, there's, um, there's lifts that go up and escalators, too. Yeah. There's a supermarket in there and a big public hall and all sorts of other stuff. You suggested that there was a lot of convincing to get that through. How, did, how much resistance was there? Oh, well, we only got about half through of what we wanted. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a, government, a local government project. Um, <clears throat> the brief, you know, changed and evolved about, uh, about a dozen times on the way through. They got about six different commercial consultants that came in about six months apart, each of whom had a different idea of how it might stack up best. Um, so they're very fluid, these projects, and um, it actually took about seven or eight years to build to, to, from start to finish of the project. Mm. business models and sort of smaller mm. businesses and holes in the wall. Mm. Um, is that now being picked up by other developers or city municipal governments as a model that might be support the kind of convincing you're trying to make? Can you draw <coughs> point not, not really. other precedents? It's, it's, it's strange, um, but <clears throat> there's, only, there's only two types of um, housing in China. One which is 90% of the housing, is in the gated communities. And the other model is, is in, a, um, in a Soho type, they call it Soho single office, home, home office, a totally mixed use uh, model. Um, on a, having said that, um, some people are doing mixed use projects, but it's mostly offices and, and cheap housing above, above some retail, so it is happening. Nobody's doing it at that sort of nitty-gritty scale. And there's only one developer that's um, re rebuilt a, um, a lane house project, you know, into housing. And that's, um, that's John Portman Jr. And that project is, you know, really beautiful. It's, it's, it looks quite authentic. It's got, it's got underground car parking. I don't know what happened, but it, it's been sitting there for about eight years, vacant. It's, it's a mystery. You never, you never know what happens to a lot of these projects along the way. There's not a lot of transparency over there. Hmm. You spoke a lot about the heritage of Shanghai and how it's currently being eroded. Is there a formalised protection for some of those heritage places you were showing? Sure, yeah. 
Um, since, since 1983, they've um, created this register of, of relics and buildings to protect, and it's, <clears throat> it's been slow, but slowly building, but now they're, they're uh, protecting most of the good stuff that's still there. Mm. But that's, that's not, not my expertise, uh, and nobody <clears throat> really knows what's going to happen. You know, we could, we, we could arrive in Shanghai tomorrow and find half of the Bund demolished, you know, about to be rebuilt. I don't think that'll happen now, though. Uh, James, thanks for a great presentation and excellent slideshow. Um, obviously, you've been to Shanghai a few times, and, um, and I was wondering whether you might be able to reflect on some of your observations there and uh, share with us um, a couple of thoughts that you think you'd like to see you know, developed here back in Melbourne. Um, given that Melbourne is growing at the rate of knots and mm. there are probably as many cranes out there as there are in some of those <laughs> yeah. images at the moment, I was just interested in some of your reflections on that. Oh, thanks, that's a great question. We've, um, we've got a lot of parallels with Shanghai, haven't we? We seem to boom at the same time, you know, from the 1850s. And even now, we're both booming. Um, <clears throat> well, I showed the housing because, you know, we could really learn how to build quality housing from the Chinese, more sustainable model of housing, just generally better places to live. Even the cheapest of new housing there is, you know, so much better than about 70% of our housing, which doesn't get natural light. Um, doesn't necessarily get direct light. The second bedrooms in our apartments only have borrowed light. They don't have windows. They don't have fresh air, and um, no cross ventilation, and no a lot of not a lot of natural light either. <clears throat> um, I think we're overregulated. You know, people don't have the space here to uh, to have a go to get away with anything. You know, a lot of things happen in China, in Shanghai, because the rules are so blurry. So people just do it and then they try to talk their way out of it or into it. <laughs> and, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of um, graft and corruption going on. So people are kept, authorities are kept quiet um, and just go along with it if, if something's not doing too much damage, you know. The odd carton of cigarettes from the fire department will keep them away. <laughs> um, public transportation, you know, I mean, we are just incredibly stupid. We're like frogs in boiling water. <laughs> our, our, every time I, when we came back from, <clears throat> from living in China, um, I could not believe the traffic that had arrived on Melbourne's roads. And on top of that, I couldn't believe that we were doing nothing about it. Nothing. I mean, there's something to be said for, you know, <laughs> centralised authoritarian government sometimes. You know, sometimes they can stay with a goal and see it through. Um, I'm glad to see, see that the, um, the current state government is doing a great job, the Andrews government. I'm so pleased to see the new underground route going in. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, look, I'm pleased to see that I, I showed the bicycles, the um, rental bicycles that have changed the face of Shanghai. Well, guess what? They're here already. It's fantastic. They're all over St Kilda. It's really great to see, yeah. What other areas? Can you think of any other areas where we might learn from Shanghai? What about sustainability? Oh, well, <clears throat> sustainability, um, it comes from the top in China, whereas here it always seems to come from the bottom. It's not until we put pressure on our politicians that they uh, appease us, you know, wanting our votes. But in China, everything's from the top down. So with our government projects, we ask if we can do Green Star projects. That last one's a three Green Star project. And um, the, they, they usually say yes, and they usually invest in it. Um, 
I don't know how to um, bring our sustainability awareness to China. I've tried very hard, and it's, but it's unbelievable, the scepticism there. The Shanghai Tower, yeah. Well, it's, it's got two skins. It's got a sheath around it, and um, so I guess that keeps the cold winds off it and insulates it a little bit. Yeah. The, the trouble is, it means that there's, there, there aren't any officers with a clear view, so they can't rent the thing. <laughs> yeah. Do we have any other questions? All right, I'd like to thank um, James again um, for your uh, presentation this evening. Uh, also our presenting partner, Abercrombie & Kent, and Starwood Whiskey for our drinks this evening. Thank you. Um, James did share with me a much longer list of recommendations, so if anyone's interested in that, I can email that out to you. Um, and I'll be seeing you next month for Barcelona. Um, great, thank you.